Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven Fulham podcast. We are now streaming live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. Come join me and my dad and my brother and the wonderful community that we have built. Discuss the team that we love and all the wonderful things that are a part of it. We appreciate you all endlessly for following us on this fantastic journey that we are so blessed to be a part of. But let's not waste any more time. Jack, you play that intro and come on. You are from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire, mind and senses purified, free from desire. Hello and welcome to the That's So Craven podcast, your Fulham podcast from Down Under, here today to discuss the mission accomplished. Fulham have completed a Premier League season and we're not relegated for the first time in a very long time and it's good to sit here today with Elton and Sam to discuss the Man United game and have a brief look back at our season. Dad, thanks for joining us tonight. You're very welcome. Um, My uh, blood pressure just calmed down after a very uh, interesting and unusual offbeat uh, pre-show (laughs) warm-up. Slightly different. And Sam, how are we going? Okay, we can address this. We're going good. Dad's referring to him testing me on all the numbers because I have a weird association with numbers. And uh, like, I was surprised that you guys didn't know what most of the numbers were. And then you just decide to offhandedly go through all the players. And I did all right. And that's that's what Dad's referring to for context. I'm going good as well. I'll refine that answer a little bit more as well to say we were talking about the players' shirt numbers, not just the numbers, whatever that meant. But Sam very impressively managed to rattle off the squad numbers of every Fulham player, including players who have barely appeared for us this season. Um, uh, impressed, Sam. I think we can all say that. Um, well, well done. A, a hidden you. talent which uh, will be completely useless uh, for most of your life, but well done anyway. It's, it's just part of my autism spectrum. It's just somewhere in there. Anyway. Embrace it. Embrace it. Mm-hmm. So, guys, we're here after, um, you know, what was... Uh, it's a weird game going into it. You know, there's absolutely nothing on the line. Fulham guaranteed to finish 10th in the league. Uh, coming up against Man United, obviously a little bit of history, recent history. But, you know, at the end of the day, Man U locked into Champions League football. Fulham locked into 10th place. Dad, did it feel like... This was a bit more of a celebration of a season that was rather than really much being on the line. Look, I was uh, on the record as being really pumped and very excited about this game. And um, in in some ways, uh, I was a little bit disappointed at the result. But you have to stand back and, you know, uh, kind of accept the great season that this was and that it would have been nice to get something out of the game, but I don't think that mattered in the end. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we actually put up a pretty good fight and, um, yeah, there's a few disappointing things that happened in the game, of course, which we can talk about. Uh, but on, on the whole, good end to the season. Kind of reminded me of um, the end of School of Rock. You know how like they go to Battle of the Bands and they do really, really well and everybody gets pumped about it, but then they lose in the end to the other band. But that's okay because they kind of came out the winners 
in spirit in the end. Uh, Bruno Fernandez, what are you going to do? <laughs> Strange, but yeah, I'll take it. Um, uh, look, I, I agree. It felt a little like anticlimactic, maybe. I think we were all hoping for this big grandstand finish, a big win against Man United to finish the season off. And maybe we were being overly hopeful against a team, you know, who are finishing fourth in the league, qualifying for, for Champions League football next season, have a lot of quality throughout their team, even with a number of changes. I think I saw pregame they'd made six changes to their starting 11 from the team that flogged Chelsea. Uh, and even then, you're still looking at guys like Bruno Fernandes, um, Rashford up front, Jaden Sancho on the wing. These are real quality players. Um, so, you know, maybe we were a little over expectant that we'd have a bit of a fairy tale finish and it, it wasn't meant to be. But I have to say, Fulham put up a really good fight throughout the game. I was really impressed with um, our ability to hold the ball, the tempo we played at. Um, we, we just seemed calm on the ball, which is something that. I think has really evolved this season. Um, previous times in the Premier League, we looked rushed. We'd lose the ball in, in silly situations. We'd try and overplay and it would just fall to pieces. And this year, I think this game sort of proved that we can play in a different fashion and we can really mix it with the big boys. And I think that's what I, I sent you a message saying something similar, Dad, after about 10, 15 minutes into the game, just basically saying, we, we we look like we belong in the Premier League, and I think that's all we can really ask for because if you if you look like you belong in the Premier League, it means you probably do belong and you, you will pick up results. Um, we, we haven't picked up any results against the, the sort of top five, top six teams in the league this season, but we, we're obviously showing enough quality to pick up results against the teams below us, and I think that's really important. Sam... Were you happy with the way we started the game in terms of holding possession and a bit of attacking threat as well? Oh, the way we started the game was wonderful. I mean, um, I thought Kenny Tete in particular just looked so good all game. Like, I know, I know um, uh, you, you've spoken a lot about why he isn't in the Dutch team. And I've kind of like, I've, I've had kind of created reasons. Like, I know, I know he, you could kind of just put it down to him getting a goal, but his entire performance last night, I just thought you were, he's really, really top class. And we really like, I'm, I've never really like this season. I didn't rate um, man. You as a particularly strong defensive side. So we were pushing them really, really well. And there was some really good pressure from like both sides. And then to just actually, get that early goal in was just so good for like our confidence and everything. I, I, I feel that like we started off so strong and then, you know, as the game went on, things unraveled and yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get mm. to that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think you guys are undercooking a bit. I thought our first 25 minutes was incredible. Did um, I know, did I not say it was really good? I thought it was well, no, it's well, actually, it's more Jack saying that you know we were we'd put up a good fight and you know we show we can st we, we were on our way to being two nil up, yeah, well on our way really early on and and you know the, the, I think the game the complexion of the game would have been quite different had we achieved that and mm. we couldn't execute and um, 
But we were at least getting in positions. We were at least like building forward and actually creating those opportunities. And that was super promising. Sorry, Dad. I cut you off. I got excited. You you really did. Um, But we, you know, I think we faltered. And um, I think if, if, I don't think our reaction was terrible. We didn't actually fall to pieces, but it, it, it injected a lot of life into Man United and the crowd went wild and um, it made things very difficult for us from that point onwards. Look, I, I certainly wasn't trying to downplay our performance. I think we performed really well. What I was saying was we, we're holding our own against a team that are qualifying for the Champions League. And I think sure. only the teams who are top half Premier League teams are able to do that on a regular basis. And I'd say we have done that throughout the whole season on a regular basis. When you look at our performances against Man United three times this season, against Man City twice, against Liverpool, against uh, Arsenal at least once, like we, we've definitely mixed it with the big boys. And uh, I, I'm more saying that I, I'm impressed with how we don't seem to shy away from these these games you see some teams going out and just getting absolutely flogged by teams at the top of the league i'm looking at a team like wolves losing 5-0 to arsenal i know we did get pretty comprehensively beaten by arsenal as well in at least once this season but you look at leeds capitulating 4-1 against spurs when they had a lot to play for as well like it's it's more about the the nature of our performance i don't care that much about the scoreline in this instance it's more the fact that we're actually able to play our own game. We're not forced into playing a different style because we're playing against the top side. We're actually able to play the kind of game that we want to play and we don't have to change what we're doing. I think that's really important and it's something that we've seen evolve a little bit more this season because previously we've come up, we shut up shop against the top sides to try and nick a point on a counter-attack. Mm. And it actually and, is detrimental towards us. And, and think about we we did that away at Old Trafford, which is you know a hugely intimidating stadium to play in. Once that crowd gets going, it's it's intimidating. Yeah, it really is. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I forgot to update the scoreline on our live stream, but um, a two-one <laughs> defeat to Man United. Let's talk about the opening goal, though. Kenny Tete, um, his first Premier League goal, I think, ever. Um, yeah, and you know a, a collector's item for him. But what a great cross in from Willian, just showing how important his set pieces are to the way Fulham play. And and a great finish from Kenny Tete at the near post. It just opened up for him. Some little bit of blocking work done, I think, by Polina at the near post there. Yeah, really uh, I believe Tete was being tracked by Fred, and Fred unfortunately was unable to track him fully because of that. But a really well-taken finish. Sammy, your, your thoughts on Kenny Tete's first Premier League goal for Fulham? I feel like it just, like, I think that this is Kenny Tete's best season, like, by far. Because I, I, I feel like he was injured for a lot of last season. I think he's kind of been plagued with injuries. And just, to just end it on such a, like, a great note for him was really just kind of like icing on the cake. Obviously, William's fantastic. And uh, Polina uh, could father every child in my life and i would be i don't know where i was going with that one but anyway um uh, <laughs> yeah talk about the goal right. sam come on talk about the goal no 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 i'll get there fantastic goal fantastic goal really stoked with it 
Love Kenny Tete. End point. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, that's that's Fulham 1-0 up. And, um, Dad, as you said before, we, we played a really solid opening 25 minutes and it could have been even better. Well, any any AFL team would have been very proud of the job that Polinia did on Casemiro and I think it was Maguire. Um, I mean, he literally held two of them off um, in questionable style, but, hey, everything goes in the box and I can't work out what what's allowable and what isn't and what referees, <laughs> referees decide is okay and what isn't. I have no idea at all. And... Um, uh, actually, um, Diop did a little job on someone else as well. I can't remember who it was, but uh, it was he was he was kind of holding someone else off as well, which which left Kenny Tete at the near post completely unmarked in a in a relatively speaking a huge amount of space. Yeah, he was uh, but he 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 was he was very aggressive. I heard a comment about the fact. I think uh, I'm not sure we picked it up in Australia on the Australian broadcast, but I heard a comment that. Um, in in a in a post match interview, Kenny Tete said something like, um, uh, "Wilson came up to him and said, so, so who are you marking? Uh, <laughs> or who are you who are you blocking?'" And he went, "No, I'm scoring." <laughs> you love it. I love Kenny Tete. Like it, I I I've loved this whole Kenny Tete season for me. It's been great. And you know, he it's not like he. It's not like he, he, he didn't show bits of potential in, a, in our last Premier League season. But, you know, last year or the year before, you know, Dennis Adoy was right up there and he was by no means a shoe in for that position at all. Mm, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, people would say that he was, he'd already proved his credentials at Premier League level. He, he, he may have sort of. But I think the level he's now at in terms of <clears throat> his Premier League credentials is very, very high, hence why we always, you know, it, it express such complete surprise that Holland continue to overlook him. Um, yeah. Anyway, Moving on, yeah, guys, he, he we'll, we'll talk about the, the penalty. It's a really well-worked Fulham move to win the penalty in the first place and great quick freak from Tom Kearney who clearly gets completely taken out. Um, it's it's quite interesting. We've had a couple of penalties in the last couple of games, both of which have been just the most obvious fouls ever. Nothing to complain about on either of those. Sorry, it sounds like a police helicopter straight above my head. Um, what did you do? Yeah, exactly. It feels a bit like that. Uh, so, look, a, a Fulham penalty. Mitro dispatched the penalty last week perfectly into the top corner. It was a really top-class penalty. Dad, you're Quick thoughts on this penalty. Obviously, Mitro is the first person in Premier League history to miss four penalties in a season. But did you think it was a bad penalty? I know you've you've recently rewatched the highlights again, probably more recently than either Sam or I. Was it a terrible penalty, or was it a good save from no, Gea? I don't think it was a terrible penalty. It wasn't top top draw by any means, right? It wasn't terrible. Um, I think his biggest fault was that he didn't hit it hard enough. And coupled with that, <clears throat> De Gea goes the right way. When a keeper goes the right way and you hit it at about sort of knee height and you don't hit it hard enough, you're asking for trouble. And, you know, if he'd, 
if he'd hit that twice as hard, it might still have been a handful for De Gea to to actually keep out. I felt a bit sorry for Mitro because, um, you know, it's not like he slipped over and the ball went over the crossbar or he he hit it completely wide or he, he did some complete faux pas. Um, he probably just wasn't aggressive enough, you know, a, a, a couple of feet higher, and that would have been unstoppable even at the pace it went in. So it's a bit unlucky, and, it, you know, of course, the, it all conspired against him, and everyone's got a lot to say about his pretty bad result at four, uh, four mm. from eight. But it, and it, not ter- not absolutely terrible, Jack. Sam, uh, Marco Silva in his post-match press conference said that that was the turning point in the game. Um, Fulham obviously at that point could have gone 2-0 up after 26 minutes would have been a very different story um, do, do you feel like that was the case or do you think Man United were always going to get themselves back into this? Do you know it's funny um, because um, my my friend who's a Man United supporter uh, he was texting me today and he, he wasn't necessarily gloating but uh, we di- it did come on to that subject and he literally said to me the second Mitrovic miss like miss that penalty i knew that we were going to win and i just i did think you're a bastard but at the same time i do think that that was the undoing and that was the like shot of adrenaline that they kind of needed and then it kind of was in perfect combination with a bit of poor marking from Robinson and a bit of a fumble from Diop. I reckon if we didn't go into the first half, sorry, the second half one all, we might've had a bit more of a fighting chance, but yeah, I, I, I feel that truly that um, penalty was, was our undoing. But the, it was the crowd that got involved, wasn't it? The crowd really, really went nuts because they knew they got, it was a, let, a massive let off. <clears throat> yeah, and I feel I feel like it, I feel like that was a lot for Mitrovic in particular. I, I feel that like you can't really kind of. I feel like it's very hard for him, particularly, to kind of come back from like those moments. He gets rattled very easily. He's a very emotional guy, and I feel that even if like because like he's still class, he's always going to be class. But you can tell when things like affect him and i feel that when things affect him they affect everybody else around him yeah look i I think it it was definitely for me it felt like the turning point Uh, there's a lot going on there it's a good save from de gea that obviously gives the crowd a boost mitro was obviously the pantomime villain here as well after last time so that would have given an additional boost to the crowd as well so it definitely felt like there was a bit of momentum behind Man United at that point. And Sammy touched on the goal briefly just then. It, it it does feel a little bit unfortunate, but Man United were probably knocking on the door at that point. Sancho yeah. is there just for a tap-in, really, and it's um it's pretty simple going into halftime at one all. Let's talk about the second goal though. I, I, I messaged Dad after this one went in and I, I basically said I'm not sure if that was absolute genius or complete and utter luck the the line break couldn't have been more perfect there uh the ball from fred was superb fernandez makes a run and he's sprinting full pace Mm. and literally as the ball is passed he is 
bang on in line with the defender. It's, you know, half a, a couple of milliseconds later, he's, compl- he's miles offside. So it's it's a perfectly timed ball, a perfectly timed run. Fernandez does really well to finish that. Dad, um, a, a bit of good fortune for Man United or, or genius there? Well, I suppose, to be fair, um, for such a brilliant piece of vision and execution from Fred, um, who obviously he saw that run and kind of changed direction and snapped the ball back, didn't he? Uh, or in a slightly kind of looked like he was sort of coming back on himself a bit. It would have been probably very, very harsh if that hadn't have come off and Fernandez um, had been offside, couldn't have happened to a better bloke. But for Fred, I mean, it would have been unfortunate <clears throat> that his ball didn't get through. Oh, it was really very, very beautiful. You've got you to admire that. Yeah. Uh, he's a class player, and I thought he he was – he was really damaging and really dangerous um, yeah. to us. Yeah, I think if that happens with any other player, you could probably call that luck. But I can very happily concede that Bruno Fernandez is a very, very good player. And I, no, think I was talking about Fred being a good player. They're both very good, man. They're both very good. But like, if like, because I've watched that highlight maybe about four times just to figure out what actually happened. And every time I watched out, I can just see like Fernandez just telegraphing everything that happens and yeah it's pinpoint accuracy but yeah. it's great understanding it's, between those two players isn't yeah it? really good yeah it's it's, it's, it's a great disgusting. finish from fernandez but i think really it's it's all down to fred and the fact that he's manages to thread that ball perfectly and weight it perfectly as well and and make the pass perfectly so so it, it all just comes together and it's a really lovely goal. You can't really be too disappointed when you concede that. I think I also messaged Jad and just said, "Yep, okay, that's a not much mm-hmm. you can do about that." It's yeah. a, it's a defense splitting pass yeah. and a perfect run, and then a really top class finish. I think Leno possibly gets a little touch on it as well on the way through, but mm-hmm. it's it's too it's too good, and you just have to tip your hat. I'm not um, sure about you guys as well, but because like Garnacho is like threatening with like a couple of like really solid attempts, and if one of his goals would have gone in, that would have made me more upset. So I can concede a brilliant goal from Fernandez rather than something like that. Yeah, I probably agree with that. Um, and, and look, the man you did threaten a fair few more times after that. I don't think Fulham really looked like scoring too often. There was one good save from a Solomon shot that De Gea made, but really it, it did look like it was going to be all Man United from there. And I think if we'd managed to score a second goal, we probably would have stolen a point there rather than... I, I think we still deserved it, but I think Man United winning 2-1 is probably a fair result in the end. Um, was, was, and, and look, was Kenny's miss, Jack? It was Kenny's miss after um, the score was already 2-1? Yeah. Yes, it was, so. yeah. Yeah. That was close. Um, that was pretty close. Yeah. On, on the other side, though, you know, you've got Weghorst as well, uh, missing what was basically yeah. an open goal. And and, um, and Rashford missed a fairly fairly easy one as well, really, for him. Yep. Garnacho hit the crossbar as well. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what the, the XG for this game was, but I'd say Man United almost certainly would have been far ahead of us in, in terms of XG. Um, I actually thought we defended quickly. really well. 
like really yeah, we well we, de- we definitely did. I think across the board, I don't think anyone really had a bad game, which I, I think has been the case for the last few weeks. Where even though maybe the results don't come, we still have across the board the whole team performing at a fairly good level. I don't think there are any weak links, which is important because if you've got weak links, that's that's where teams are able to to dominate you and to to target you. Can we um, can we talk about um, the lineup change of bringing Sasalukic in for Harrison? I was messaging you, uh, trying to influence uh, your halftime tweet actually, because I I, I I was concerned by that, and I I think my concern was founded because while Sasalukic actually he was okay, I thought going forward he actually looked pretty good. But I thought we really missed Harris, uh, uh, Harrison Reed in the middle, and I think that pairing is still a really good pairing. What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, no, yeah, Jack, you go. I, I, I think <laughs> uh, that's always going to happen. I'll go. I think Lukic had a had a good game. I w- I was quite impressed with him. He he does offer something completely different to Harrison Reed, where. Harrison Reed is busy. He's probably more defensive-minded. But Lukic a couple of times drove forward, and I really like the look of that. Um, yeah. And uh, look, I don't mind Harrison Reed coming off the bench. I think he's probably more impactful than Lukic is coming off the bench because I think Lukic is a little bit more composed, possibly a more classy player, especially going forward, and still looks fairly strong defensively as well, whereas Harrison Reed is is dogged. He comes off the bench and runs hard and makes an impact. I think that's that's actually almost better coming off the bench to try and you spice things up late in the game than, than Lukic coming off the bench. Um, mm. I, I don't think it had a huge impact on, on the outcome of the game. I don't think Reed would have changed a huge amount. I don't think we were overrunning the midfield whatsoever. I actually yeah. think, um, if anything, it was... Um, through the wings where Man United dominated us a little bit more. I think they worked the ball down the lines really well. Um, and Tete and Robinson did a very good job throughout the game. But, look, uh, yeah, Sam, your thoughts on, on Lukic over Reid? I think Silva wanted to play really high-pressing, attacking um, football because I I think he wanted to score goals, and I think that's why he went with Lukic. And I think that was actually the right call. I think, yeah, you're right. If um, we started Harrison Reed, that would have made us more defensive than we actually potentially needed to be, whereas today we need to score goals. And, I mean, who's to say if uh, Mitrovic... Um, actually got that I mean obviously if you got that penalty we would have scored another goal but you know if you went 2-0 up against Man United uh, who, who's who's to say there couldn't be more from that and um yeah because like yeah I did, I don't I didn't nece- I don't necessarily rate that back line that they actually played Man United I mean so yeah I th- I think it was the right call well you may not be surprised to know I, I disagree strongly with both of you actually that's okay. Um, that's what this. That's what we're doing right now. You know, because I, you know, you you were saying Jack that you thought a lot of their <clears throat> their movement forward was coming from the wings. Well, yeah, Kenny Tete, for me, completely shut Garnacho down. It was a really good battle, but Kenny Tete had the better of him. 
And while he was busy and he looked kind of dangerous in his movement, it never amounted to that much. Uh, and I, th I thought, and I comment to you, Jack, at the time, I thought they had an enormous amount of space in in the centre. And, you know, they were just unmarked. And I, I disagree with you in terms of Harrison Reed versus Lukic in terms of defensive prowess. I think Harrison Reed, I actually think he, he reads the game from a defensive perspective better than Lukic does. And he's no, that, that's what I said. I, I mm. agree with that. Reed's a better defensive player. Lukic is a better attacking player. I yeah, do I mean, think. Sure. I do. I do think, um, though, Dad. I, I definitely agree that um, Kenny Tete had Garnacho pretty well covered. I think Sancho was better than Robinson, and I think mm, Sancho I just played a couple of bits of class. And I don't think Robinson was handling that as well as he kind of needed to. And I felt for a lot of the game, even though I think Robinson still did well, I think for a lot of the game. Sancho just was able to create a lot of space for himself and, again, yeah. dominate that side. So I think that's kind of where it came from. But, again, that that, that kind of that excludes um, Polina and Reed and Lukic. So. Hmm. Um, let's have a very quick look at the stats just to round out the game itself. Um, Man United with 53% possession to Fulham's 47%. Manu had 21 shots on goal, 8 on target. Fulham with 10 shots on goal, 3 on target. Similar number of passes. Man United with 4-9-3. Fulham with 4-2-6. 5 corners to Man United, 4 to Fulham. 14 fouls by Man United, just the 10 for Fulham. Um, Polina picking up yet another yellow card, making it 14 for the season. And I believe that equals the record for most yellow cards in a single Premier League season. Well done, Jao Polina, setting records left, right and centre. Have a quick look at the table and how we ended up sitting pretty in 10th place on 52 points. Brentford on 59 points, finishing ninth. We're a little way short of that European chase. We thought we'd be in a in with a sort of outside chance of, of getting amongst those European spots. And I, I do say if we didn't lose Mitro, I think, uh, the story might have been very slightly different there. So definitely something to aim for next season. We saw Man City obviously walk in the title um, after Arsenal capitulated, finishing second with 84 points, five points adrift. Uh, Man United finishing third, Newcastle fourth, Liverpool finishing fifth, and Brighton taking the other Europa League spot uh, in sixth. Uh, Aston Villa beat Brighton on the final day, which meant that they, they leaped leapfrog or stayed stayed ahead of Tottenham rather and took the Europa Conference League spot. It is most likely though that Tottenham will pick up the other Europa League spot due to uh, Man United and Man City both qualifying for Champions League and playing each other in the FA Cup final. Brentford missing out on Europe uh, which is great because I don't think Brentford <laughs> deserve Europe. Guys, let's have a look at some of the top tweets from yesterday. We've got a handful and um, hopefully a few discussion points off the back of these. So first one here from Fulham Football Club at Fulham FC on Twitter. Um, it says Fulham are going down. Sarcastically. Yeah, I yeah. was going to say it's... it's this is a visual one, I think. Yeah. yeah, it's Fulham are going down with all the letters jumbled up between upper and lowercase, stitched you up there, and then a um, what's that face, Sammy? You're you're a Gen Zer. 
I'm actually not. I'm a I'm a millennial. Um, but uh, that's a kind of tongue phasey kind of. No, it's not. That's the, a, it's not the. That's an it's accurate not the casual sound. Phase. It's not the casual tongue phase. It's a zanier one. It's very a much zany taking, tongue phase. It's a zany yeah. tongue phase. Yeah. Good one. Yeah, it's yeah. very much taking the piss as Fulham finished tenth in the league, despite preseason. All the pundits saying Fulham are definitely going down. Um, we've definitely proved a lot of people wrong this season. We finished seven points clear of Palace, who are in eleventh. A, a really solid and comfortable top half finish for Fulham. Well done us. Pat on back. Next one. Now this is a really interesting one. This is a tweet from TalkSport and I'm not sure if you guys saw a couple of photos that were leaked post-game after the Man United game. Marco Silva apparently got off the bus that was leaving to go and talk to Fred, um, Man United's midfielder Fred um, and apparently they spent about 15 minutes having a chat basically out the back of Old Trafford and uh, this one is a tweet from TalkSport, which gives a little bit more information about that, or not much, but something to discuss. Yeah. I, Dad, you can, you can go. Well, he needs to read it oh. out, Sammy. Okay. Yeah, so, so the, the TalkSport tweet is, Fulham interested in signing Fred from Man United this summer. I mean, that's, that's kind of a little overstated. Uh, he definitely had a conversation. <coughs> um, he, they both speak Portuguese. Uh, they're both not from England. Uh, Fred is out of contract, I think, at the end of next season. But, I mean, apart from that, how do we know? Would we have him? Damn right we would. I would love to have Fred. Even I did not actually know that this was one of the traits. I, like, I, I, I think he's fantastic. I think he's so underappreciated in that side. Not in the same level of underappreciation that Andreas Pereira had. But I think he is a phenomenal asset to that team. I would love to have Fred. I think he's great. Sure. I think it it speaks to something that we talked about throughout the season and even before the season started when we talked about where Fulham need to strengthen the squad. And that defensive midfield and even slightly more attacking midfield position where we have Pereira, Polina and Reed. obviously now we have Lukic as well, but... It does feel a little light there where if we lose players, we are fractionally undermanned. Mm. Um, bringing Fred into the fold there, Polina and Fred starting together next to each other would be oh. a really, really good combination. We saw how good he is with that ball through for Fernandez. Imagine someone like Mitro being able to run onto the back of balls like that coming from the midfield. We talk about the fact that Harrison Reed maybe doesn't have that creative ability to actually... Um, get a few more assists under his but I know he's got a handful this season, but we, you'd probably like to see a couple more from, from your midfielders. And I think Fred would be a really good signing. The only thing that probably opens up a conversation about is at that point in that sort of defensive midfield position, you now have Polina, Fred, Reed, and Lukic, and possibly even Tom Kearney obviously sits in there fairly often because he usually comes on for Harrison Reed late in games you'd have to possibly look at moving one person on from from that group well, of five. It, it's not going to be Polina, and it's almost certainly not going to be Sasa Lukic, who's only been with the club for six months and signed a fairly long deal. So that probably puts Kearney and Reed uh, in a little bit of jeopardy there. You could move well, Sasa but, Lukic but, forward, but honestly, uh, But if, if you got Fred, if that happened... Yeah, totally. Jeez. 
<laughs> you know, as sad as it would be from a personal perspective, from a club perspective, but in the name of progress, uh, you'd have to you'd have to take that and um, deal I'm with it and deal with uh, deal with the grief counselling. I'm such a big advocate as well for in the name of pro uh, in the name of progress, as Dad literally just said. Like there, there's totally reason for nostalgia for certain players, but at the end of the day, you got to be looking forward. You got to be constantly looking at bettering your squad. And oh, this is a this is a better. I would I would very not, I don't want to say happily, but like oh, to get Fred in that squad. Oh, I would very much happily move some stuff around for him. The the one issue is if you move, if you constantly are just trying to better, you actually break a squad apart. You look at one of the best things about this Fulham team this year is the togetherness off the field and the culture that's been built. If you're constantly moving people on, and I, I, look, I agree, I 100% want to bring Fred in. The only issue is you, you do... If you shift a couple of big characters on who are really well liked in the dressing room and, and drive the culture, as people like probably Tom Kearney and Harrison Reed are within the group, you you can actually cause more issues than you solve by bringing in a player in their place. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen. Realistically, I think Tom Kearney is happy being a squad player and so will happily take a step back. Um, I think Harrison Reed probably has another good season in him, but he may have to accept that he'll be a squad player as well and he'll just get his opportunities off the bench like Kenny has. And maybe Lukic at that point um, is played a little bit further forward or something. I don't know. And we can discuss this a little bit more because, you know, post-season we'll do um, a, a bit of a review of, of the squad itself. So there's a fair bit to talk about, but I thought that was a really interesting story that came out of the back of the Man United game. And nice look, I, I think it is, uh, I mean you don't often get to see things like this where you see managers quite obviously having a talk with Fred. I mean, what else is he getting off the bus to talk about? Um, it doesn't mean it's gone very far down the track, but he's definitely saying, oh, I would love yeah. you to come to the club. And agents yeah. are chatting in the background all the time. I reckon there's a bit of information there that Silver's got saying Man United want to shift Fred on because he only has a year left on his contract and I think he wants to move from Man United anyway. Mm. And Man United wouldn't want to lose someone who costs him fifty million on a free. So I, there'd be, there's <clears throat> there's something to the story for sure. I reckon I reckon it's nothing more than Marcus Silver's heard on the grapevine that Fred has got an amazing recipe for chicken piri piri wings. And I was going to say paella. I was going to say paella, but yeah. <laughs> uh, um, okay. Uh, the next one's from Opta Joe, and it says 0 0.62, the five CB partnerships with the fewest goals conceded per 90 minutes in the Premier League this season. Uh, what's that? Um, Go on, do it. You can do it. Minimum, minimum five, five post -post starts. Starts. Yeah, minimum, so minimum five, five times yeah. that they've played together. Yeah, okay. So 0 0.62. Me, Pinnock and Zanka, 0.71, Van Dyke and Gomez, uh, 0 0.8, uh, Badia Sheila, Van Silva, and 0 0.81, Botman, Shah, and 0 0.87, Reem and Diop. Backbone. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we've 
talked about our centre back partnership a lot throughout the whole season because it's it's been something that's been firstly mightily impressive considering, but also our, our second defender has been sort of thrown up in the air because Tim Reams had such a good season. And I, I did see Tim Reams saying that he's hoping he's going to be back for the preseason US tour, which is really good news. And, and fingers crossed that's the case. What this tells us, though, is that when Reem and Diop have played together, they've done incredibly well. Like, mm. I mean, it doesn't tell the full story. Newcastle have had a very good season. Um, Van Dijk and Gomez, you know, they're, they're a really good centre-back partnership. I know Van Dijk was injured, I think, at the start of the season, which is why Liverpool were playing quite poorly, possibly. Batty, Sheila and Silva, I don't think they played a huge amount together, but they obviously played very well together as well. But again, you know, the, these teams aren't exactly flying and you, you're not looking at Man City's and Arsenal's defences here. So it doesn't tell the full story. But it is good to see that Reem and Diop have created a partnership that statistically is is working really well so far this season. And I don't know if that translates into the same partnership next season, but I think it's positive signs for, for what Fulham have managed to do on the field. Well, yeah, and I think... I- there's something in that as well, in that, um, you know, Diop and Tosin have had to step in with the absence of Ream, mm. and Diop has actually had to step into his least favoured position on the left. Yeah. And I, I, I think that shows a bit as well. It, it definitely does, because he was more comfortable on the right. I do think, or, I do or, think or, Diop. Or maybe, or, or sorry, Sam, or maybe yeah. it was just the fact that he had the settling calming influence of Tim Ream around him that actually yeah. made him a better better player and a better partner. You know, I, I, I think it was I think it was in the Carabao where Diop had his very first game and like we crashed. I forget who it was against. I remember it was a really poor It was Diop and Tosin against Crawley. Crawley, that's right, yeah. And um, they played awfully. And then I remember at the start of the season, everyone was saying, why did we sign this guy? He's grab, he's this, that, and the other. And to think of how far he's actually come in the fan base's opinion of him, just through sheer consistency and just doing so good. I'm a massive fan of Diop. I, I think he's actually overall had, like, an exceptional season. And, yeah, no... Really, really like him. Really like him. I, I agree. Diop, Tosin, and Reem, I think, have all had a really good season. I yeah. Could, couldn't couldn't be happier, I'd say, with our centre-back partnerships. I still think it is a position we need to strengthen next season, not because of the ability, but purely because of Tim Reem's age. Yeah. I, I believe he's only got one or two seasons left in him. We're still going to see very good performances from Tim Ream, but I think we need to start planning a bit for the future. And I think bringing in another centre-back potentially is just a backup centre-back to start with who we can build into the team, similar to how we have built Tosin and Diop into the team this season, where you can rotate them fairly regularly. I'd like to see us do the same with with another centre-back next year. Um, One here from Jace Watkins at JWA underscore 73 uh, an interesting tweet about uh, Burnt Leno. Does that make Jace Watson, uh, Jace Watkins from WA, or is it just Watkins WA? I don't I know. I think he's, he's got an Australian flag. Watkins WA yeah. is the first two letters of Watkins. It is too. Based <laughs> on the quality of our shots, Al Leno getting the award for the best goalkeeper 
he's been unreal this season. Uh, absolutely no no argument from this team. Uh, he's been incredible. Absolutely amazing. And and the image is a is a tweet, or not a tweet, an excerpt from The Athletic saying, in total, Fulham's burned Leno lands the award for most goals prevented, having stopped nearly 12 goals more than he was expected to from the efforts he faced, helping Marco Silva's side to one of their best Premier League campaigns in recent memory. And, you know, I think Alisson takes out the award for the season, although it might have changed with Burnt Leno's performance in the final game. But Burnt Leno had more saves inside the six-yard box than any other keeper in the league. He had a couple of good saves on the weekend. Um, he made a couple of good saves the week before against Crystal Palace as well. He just keeps us in games so regularly. Um, and, you know, XG is is an interesting thing, and it's one of those things you can look at and really dive deep into. But... You know, a, a penalty, the XG for a penalty is something silly like 0.6. So the fact that this is almost the same as Leno having basically saved like 20 penalties this season in terms of um, how many goals he's stopped more than goals we actually conceded. If you just take into account all those opportunities within the six-yard box where players are getting good shots on goal, and they're not all straight at Burton Leno as well. They're all over the place. He's He's just... He's been such a, rele- a, re- a revelation for us this season. We all knew he was a good keeper, but he got completely written off by Arsenal. They said, no, Ramsdale's the better keeper. We're going to keep him. And we've picked up this absolute bargain of a world-class keeper. And I think you have to put him alongside Van der Sar, Schwarzer, and Bernd Leno as our best three Premier League keepers. And oh, Leno's yeah. only been at the club for one season, and he's already in that company for me. I, th- oh, I think I, I agree. I think I think with Bert Leno, I think it's not even necessarily like an underrated sort of thing. I think it's just more he's been around for such a long time that everyone just knows that he's great. So it's not as sexy a story. But Arsenal fans um, uh, like really wished him well. Like there was absolutely like he didn't go there disgraced. They just kind of moved him on just kind of because of like his age. But no one's ever disputed the fact that he is an awesome, awesome, awesome keeper. And pretty much the only reason why he wasn't German, Germany's top keeper was because Manuel Neuer is a freak. I, I have read, though, that um, as much as Leno is very happy to come to Fulham and, and he does look very happy. Do we agree? He looks very happy at Fulham and he he, he seems to be very happy yeah, being definitely. part of the team. Yeah. Um, I have heard in his own words him say that he's kind of pissed off that he was sold so cheaply and it kind of makes him look like a budget player and it's mm. sort of tarnished his brand somewhat that, that Arsenal actually let him go so cheaply. I know, I know there are add-ons and kickers based on performances and so on and so forth. So the sort of headline fee of what was it, three million pounds, maybe end up being something like eight. Is that right? I think that's right. Uh, I think it, it gets as high as 12 at one point. Um, okay. It's three well, million plus another like five for staying in the Premier League, plus more if we stay in the Premier League again next season and a few other bits mm. and pieces and add ons. So I, I'm not well, exactly if sure. Up, if we ended up paying 15 for him, I'm happy. It is, it is really funny as well because I think a lot of this is kind of a bit of an ageist thing as well because 10 years ago, yeah, if your players are pushing like 30 years old, 
then they realistically are fully at the end of their career. Whereas like now, just because of like the sports science that goes into keeping these players at tip top shape, if like there's so many players in the Premier League that are in their 30s, like how old is Kevin De Bruyne? Like, uh, I'm going to refute that. I'm going to refute that. Sammy, you can refute goalkeepers that. No, goalkeepers have always played. I mean, Mark Crossley was playing for Fulham as a forty-year-old, and that well, yeah, was that's what... twenty. That was twenty years ago. They're, yeah, that's goalkeepers have always played a lot longer. Burnt Leno's only thirty-one. Mm, he's, yeah, he's that's yeah. Uh, he, uh, I mean, for the last, uh, you look at Bruce Grobelar at Liverpool. He was playing up till forty back in the eighties, almost. Um, keepers, keepers always have played through a long time. I, I think the problem with Leno is man, uh, not man. Arsenal have made a concerted decision that they want to have a young keeper who can be their keeper for the next ten years. And Ramsdale yeah. can. He's only twenty five. He's been at Arsenal already two years, so he's been there since he's twenty three. He'll easily play till he's thirty eight. So, mm. so Ramsdale really will play for Arsenal for ten years. So, us Arsenal have just gone. We don't actually need Burnt Leno because we've got a first team keeper. Let's move him on. They've they've let him go for far too little. That's the yeah. big that's the big story here is that he got released for way, way less than he's actually worth. And the one good thing that I like especially about Burton Leno, if you look at his career, he spent three years at Stuttgart, then spent seven years at uh, Leverkusen, he spent four years at Arsenal. He likes to stay at clubs for a long time. Um I, I really think we could see Leno being the Fulham goalkeeper for the next five years comfortably. He signed a three-year yeah. contract. There's an option on that to extend for a further year afterwards as well. So we've got him locked in for at least four years. I really think we, we're going to see him extend that contract on top of that. And I, I think he could be our keeper for the next five years at least. Sorry, Marek. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, that's another another conversation to have as well about what happens to, to the rest of the squad because I think... Rodak has unfortunately had pretty much all of his opportunities completely taken away from him now because Burnt Leno really is the man and he's such a good keeper that you're just not going to displace him. We saw the same with Ariola when he came in on loan as well. You're just yeah. not going to get past players of that quality. Yeah. Um, tweet here from uh, Fulham Fan Zone at Fulham Fan Zone. Winger Daniel James is expected to return to Leeds United after spending the season on loan at Fulham. A report from the Daily Mail has shared more details on who may be staying or going at Ellen Road this summer. Mm. Yeah. Get the candles out, Dad. You can celebrate. <laughs> no, it's not like that, but I'm not keeping him. <laughs> so it is like that then. <laughs> Look, I, I think this this leads into a, a bigger conversation. Like I said, we will have uh, a podcast in the next couple of weeks where we do look into the squad in a bit more detail and look at the potential movements over the uh, over the summer months. We know that Shane Duffy is almost certainly off to Norwich. We know that Joe Bryan is going to Bristol City, I believe. And this is just a bit of confirmation here that Dan James is likely to return back to Leeds. And so we're not going to be taking up the option to sign him. I, I think um, it's it shows a bit of intent from Fulham if we're starting to let some of these guys go. Because we've been talking about these players and saying, oh, you know, we need a squad of, of 25 or 26, I think it is, that you have to register with the Premier League. We have Dan James as a backup winger, but this probably speaks to the fact that we're going to be looking at strengthening that area on the pitch. And same with 
Letting Joe Bryan go to Bristol City means we're likely to be bringing in someone permanently as a backup left back slash right back. Um, yeah. And look, I, I think we, we, we've had a lot of chat about Dan James this year, but we can all agree that he doesn't fit in Marco Silva's plans. And I don't think he really fits into this Fulham team very well. He yeah. had his moment as, as a fair few Fulham players have done this year, but I think we, we, we were all sort of expecting that to be that. And I think this, this story sort of puts a nail in the coffin for Dan James. So ta-ta buddy. Yeah. Well, but how reliable is that? You know, I mean, it's it's not exactly has not on the Fulham website. No, of course yeah. not. And and I don't think we're going to get any full confirmation on a lot of that stuff. But you know, when you start to see these stories, and I haven't seen anything saying Dan James is going to be staying at Fulham this year, and I think the writing is already sort of on the wall. So when you start to see a few reports popping out that he's likely to go back to Leeds, and you know, Leeds have been relegated. Um, Dan James isn't worth what he used to be worth, but I'd probably like to have someone like Dan James in the championship. Same as having Knockart and Cavalera in the championship was kind of great. Having them in the Premier League is kind of not. Also but as well. I think he, he fits yeah. into that Leeds side. Yeah, also as well, Leeds are going to get absolutely raided for like yeah. all of their solid players. So they'll they'll really need Dan James. Um, and yeah, regardless of how we feel about him. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Leeds are going to be losing a lot of players, especially um, I think on those wings as well. You look at blokes like Jack Harrison, Sinistera, um, Rafinha, Notto, yeah, Rafinha, Somerville even probably plays out on the wing. A lot of those guys have, have impressed in in fits and starts, and I think if you put them into a decent system, they'd be really good players. And so they they are going to get raided that that Leeds side and. That's sort of what happens when you've been in the Premier League for a couple of seasons and you're able to strengthen and get some good players in, um, but then it all falls in a heap. There are some really good uh, good players to actually pick up out of that lead side. Um, but I thought you'd enjoy that little tweet there, Dad, with Dan James showing the door <laughs> finally. Ah, oh, It's not like that. You make me sound bitter and and uh, personal and nasty. I'm just uh, expressing yeah. the view of the masses. You know, It's my job. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the view of the, the masses. The people, hey? the view of the masses. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One here from White Noise at White Noise eighteen seventy nine on Twitter. If you don't follow White Noise, you definitely should. Eight senior Fulham players out on loan. Knockout Brian Sessignon have a one year option. The club could activate, but not sure why Fulham would. Gazaniga's out of contract after a great season at was it Girona. Girona. Um, Girona. Uh, Mooney's and Mbabu may be sold, but Congola, Congola uh, and Cavs probably go out on loan again. Yeah. I think Gazaniga's uh, the only one that um, uh, I want back because apparently he's actually had a really, really solid season um, uh, where he's gone. Aside from you, that, though, out of all those names. Have you, have you forgotten what he was like when he was with us? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I, rem- I remember what he was like. I remember he was crap. But um, he has he has proven to have a really really solid season. I forget where he, I forget where he is, Jack. Where, where's it, it says in the tweet? He went to Girona. I um, literally cannot read that. <laughs> it's too far away from my screen. Um, Girona, I believe. Well, they play in La Liga Santander. Uh, I thought I read that they actually made it into the pl- um, not into the playoffs into uh, Europe this season. 
That's what I'm not 100 percent sure of that. I'll just have a quick look. And he 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 is he is their starting keeper as well. Yeah, uh, they they finished just outside Europe. I think they um uh, it hasn't been updated with a game to go. They were they're in ninth place with a game to go this season. So we'll just have a very quick look. But yeah, he he's had a really good year with them. Um, I, I don't know if I'd want him back to be perfectly honest. Like like Dad sort of said, he. He just didn't really perform for me regularly. He he just looked completely out of sorts. He looked out of his league, completely out of his league. Yeah, I, don't I, I just don't season, really trust don't him as, a, as a good enough player to... I mean, as a backup keeper, maybe he'd be not a terrible option, but like I said, I just don't think he's, he's quite good enough. Um, they actually play uh, on... Sunday, this coming Sunday, uh, Girona play Osasuna uh, with Osasuna sitting in seventh, Girona sitting in ninth, Athletic Club who are sitting in eighth play Real Madrid, so most likely to lose that game, you'd assume. If Girona win, they actually make it into Europe. So he, he's had a very good season and he's obviously been their starting keeper and done really well, but look, I, I'd rather, I don't think we'll be able to convince Rodak to stay for another year as backup keeper. Maybe he mm. does, but I don't think so. Um, I'd rather see George Wickens, who's our under-21s keeper, just promoted straight into the first team and and have him be our backup keeper for the season. Then maybe, um, I mean, we're not going to be able to cash in on Gazaniga because his contract expires, but I, I don't think it's worth uh, extending his contract. I, I don't think we're going to see Knockart... Um, Brian or Sessignon have their options extended. Um, I think Cavalero, I, I assume we're going to let him go as well. Um, Congolo might be the only one in this list who I think gets an, another opportunity. Mooney's, yeah. look, I, I think Mooney's probably stays with us for another year, but I think we need to find a better loan deal for him. He went to Middlesbrough. He didn't perform. He didn't really get much of an opportunity after they changed managers, which is unfortunately the luck of the draw sometimes. You go to a club, they change managers, and the manager just doesn't want you at that point, uh, and that happened with Mooney's. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we'll we'll see most of these guys get moved on, if not um, if not sold on, because obviously Cavalieri, Congolo, Mbabu, and Mooney's all still have years left on their contract. I think we're going to see most of them sold. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. But um, I expect there'll still be quite a lot of movement in this Fulham squad in the off-season. It's going to be busy. Wouldn't be surprised if we see quite a few players get released, unfortunately, come the end of the year. Yeah. Well, if you think about the ambition we're talking about, that, that we, we're willing Fulham to have, if you're really pushing on like we think we're pushing on and you're going to strengthen your first-team squad, you're creating an even bigger gap if these guys are, you know, slushing around in, um, you know, the the the, the greater squad. You, you you surely, you surely have to move them on. It's a waste. Yeah, of I, I think Gazaniga is the only person who realistically sits in the squad comfortably at the moment. I don't think any of the others are, are genuine squad players. Congolo, maybe. He's shown glimpses. I don't think he's ever really played badly for Fulham, but he's had some serious injuries. He hasn't really done it for me so far. So uh, I think at that point you sort of you pass him on and, and 
maybe you cash in on some of those guys like Cavalera and Congolo who do have a year left on their contract still and move them on while they've still got some value to the club. Um, oops, sorry, I pressed yeah. mute by mistake. I will uh, just make a slight mention as well. Steve Reynolds, thanks for joining us on the live stream. He's just um, up, Steve? put a, a message through out of interest, guys. Uh, Rico, who uh, we'd all know as uh, an ex-Fulham keeper, is in intensive care at the moment following a horse riding accident. So wow. sending thoughts out to Rico after that happened. I did see that pop up uh, in yeah, a couple of days too. ago. Um, so fingers crossed he makes a full recovery from that and obviously sending our thoughts out to him and his family at a difficult time. Um Moving on here to our final tweet, and this is a very slightly controversial one from our friend at FFC underscore IBZIBS on Twitter. Yep, it says, Tom Kearney is so overrated with our fan base. I'm sorry, but this is the truth. I was scratching my head at Old Trafford with his lacklustre pressure, allowing all the time and the space in the world for Casemiro to pick up his passes. Mm-hmm. I can't disagree with that. I had a problem with the amount of space that Casemiro and Co had in the middle, and you know, Kenny has to take some of the, the the blame there. Although I, I would say that that's a a shared blame between um, Tom Kenny and Sasalukic. I was really hoping that you were going to say something different, Dad, because I actually also agree. And I, I, yeah, I don't, I like, I don't want us to be like the Tom Gandy bashing podcast, but I, I, for me, for me, um, I, 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 I understand what Tom Gandy means to like a lot of the Fulham fan base, but he's just never fully clicked with me. Um, that's my personal opinion. I, I can I can die on that hill. I'm I, I, I won't I won't fight too heavily about it. I know Jack has a plethora of other opinions. I can see you squirming there, Jack. Go on, tell us. Tell us your thoughts. I'm not squirming. I, I don't think um I don't think he had a great game against Man United. I have to say this has easily been Kenny's best season in the Premier League as a Fulham player. I think he's been yeah. really impressive, but I don't think he's more than a player who comes off the bench to help us control a game or comes off the bench to add a little bit of creativity towards the end when we're streaming forward. I think he's got a very particular role, and the this this turned into quite a big thread with quite a few people commenting and putting their opinions forward. And I think the biggest issue I had with this thread was the comparison was between was made fairly regularly between Kenny and Pereira. And I think Kenny and Pereira are very different players. Kenny probably doesn't suit playing in Pereira's position. Um, and so I, I don't think Kenny actually fits into our system that well full stop. He's not uh, he's not Andreas Pereira in terms of his creativity and his speed and ability to have, um, you know, dangerous runs and, add to that the dangerous balls that Pereira is able to put in. He's not Harrison Reed hassling around, making tackles, causing chaos, and um, just being generally just a little ball of energy in the middle. And he's not Polina because no one's Polina. Um, so, and I, I think our system suits those three styles of player perfectly, and Kenny doesn't fit into that. So I think Kenny's always going to be 
not I, I think he's overrated by a fan base, not in the sense of his ability, but I think people just people just love him because he's been at the club for a long time. And same with Tim Ream as well. I mean, Tim Ream is is Tim Ream overrated too because he's a bit of a legend. Well, I mean, I he's think been Tim good Ream this got, season, but has he been incredible? I think he's been incredible. I think Tim Ream has gotten better. I feel that Tim Ream has gotten better the longer he's played with us. Because I wasn't I talking Kenny about Tim Ream. Too, though. I disagree with that, though. I I heavily disagree with that. I feel that um, I I don't I don't think he's like fully crashed and burned, but I can't say that he's he's gotten better. I think this is his best Premier League season. But that means um, he's got better if this is his no, best Premier no, League season. No, 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 no. And he's no, played no, no, in the no. Premier League three other times with us. Then it, this has to be him improving because you you, you can't have your be best a... Premier League season and have that be worse than a championship season. No, I'm saying it's well, the best I'm, Premier League. Hang on, season. I'm stepping in here. Yeah, go for it, Dad. I'm stepping in here. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've let you youngsters crack the whip. On. Yeah. Um, I think the problem with Tom Kearney is that he's just like a lovely guy. He's been around a long time and he's actually got some really silky skills. And I've said it before against average sides, he's fantastic. He carves them up. He's hit the balls he plays into dangerous areas, he's, he's superb and he's very creative in that kind of theatre but I think he's just at Premier League absolute top level he's just not a very complete player and I'll probably mm. get completely destroyed for that but I don't think he is you know he's one let, let's not forget he's one-footed incredibly one-footed but but still manages right. to I know I know but he and he also manages to amazingly control the ball and shield the ball and protect the ball with his one-footedness he gets away with it which is remarkable right but really it's taking 50% of the opportunities away from you under intense pressure and possibly in the box with three players around you if you've got to get it over to your favorite foot that's a massive disadvantage right it just David is. Beckham only had a right foot I know. Okay. I know. I do. I do. I do want to. I do. I do want to point out as well, like, because I want to go back to my original point, because Jack didn't let me have it. But you can have a good season when essentially the bulk of the side is allowing you freedom. That, like, I, I still don't think that, like, that. I still, I like, just because he's had his best season in the Premier League, doesn't necessarily quantify for his entire value does that make sense no it probably because doesn't. it does <laughs> yeah? no i, th no, I think no. if you have a great season you can't say that they're a bad player but no, no I, but I, I don't best, think he fits into best, our fan base no no but yeah your fan best base, season is at the at the end of the day that you have a glass ceiling on that so messi's absolute best season is going to be different to steven sessignon's best season but we sense? don't know that he has a glass ceiling on that because we we his next season might be even better as well. Oh, what I'm, I'm saying is, that. I think I'm not having that. No, no what I'm saying is, you you say that Tom Kenny hasn't improved. I think if he's had two previous seasons in the Premier League and you said that this was his best season in the Premier League, then he has improved since the last time he played in the Premier League. You can't contradict uh, that. He he has. 
And and Dad, to your point, saying that Kearney dominates poor teams. Next season in the Premier League, we're going to have Bournemouth, Burnley, Luton, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United. We're going to come up against some pretty terrible teams. I think Everton are going to run into a lot of problems next year. I think Wolves and West Ham will as well. I think there's the actual potential to have someone who can dominate terrible teams in the squad. Having him being able to come off the bench is a marvellous position to have. And, you, you, and look, you, you're smiling because you can see that I'm laughing at you and just saying like, "Oh, we need a flat track bully in our side." Just for the doesn't everyone? Teams if ridiculous. you're a cricket team, don't you don't you need someone who can come in at number seven and just swing the bat and every see, now and then comes see, off? You know what I'm going to do here. I'm just going to filibuster because I know Sam's really keen to go to bed and Jack's probably get his wife after him up his ass, actually, <laughs> you know, getting trying to get nappies changed and, you know, teething sorted out. So I'm just going to keep arguing this and I will I will win. I'm, so, I'm so I actually just enjoy that. I, I, I don't think Tom Kearney's a first-team player, but I'm quite happy to argue that he is definitely good enough to be <laughs> well, a you see, player. You, you are the guy that IBS is talking about because you yeah. love him so much. You actually will look beyond his weaknesses because you like singing the song and teaching your son how to sing the song. Which, you uh, know what, look, I'm I, actually fine with, but just wear it on your chest and don't tell <laughs> me. No, I, I'm saying I'm not, I'm not overrating him. I'm not saying he's a top-class Premier League player. I'm saying he's a good player to have in your squad to come off the bench and do a particular job. Sure. I'm even and saying he doesn't it, actually uh, fit. I'm, I'm even saying he doesn't actually fit into the system we play. I'm saying I don't think um, he's. I don't think he's a perfect player to have in the squad. But I think what he's done coming off the bench this season is perform incredibly well. When he's been asked to do a job, every time he comes off the bench, he's been asked to do a completely different job. Sometimes it's to come off and, and just well. control the game and make sure we win a game. Other times it's to come on and actually create something and, and make us win a game. And I think every time he's come on the pitch this year, apart from a handful of occasions, he's actually played incredibly well. And so, therefore, I, I'm not saying he's he's messy and I'm not saying he's the best player ever and we should sign him up for another 10 years. But I'm saying whenever he's been called upon, he's done a job. He's not a better player than Andreas Pereira. He's not a better player than Harrison Reed, And he would would and should never displace those guys in the team. And I think he probably understands that as well, which is why he's so happy playing the role he's playing, because and, he's and got I a very particular is, role in that side. I think that's his greatest strength right now. It's, it's, like, it's like the guy who, you know, tried to become CEO and actually held the position for a while and then... Kind of got sidelined, but now he's getting old, a little bit older, and the company's moved on and full of young kids. But he's happy to keep taking his salary. And he's a consultant. Well, no, he's actually he's happy to actually, you know, sit back and uh, he hasn't got an ego, is what I see with Tom. Mm. Right, and that's actually it's actually working in his favour, and it probably gives him a few more years because. Uh, if he wasn't happy to come off the bench, it would have ended in tears a long time ago. And he's done that really, really well. Let's let's mm. take nothing away from him. But if we spent £200 million and really focused on uh, beefing up those midfield positions, does he get swept away or do we keep him? Uh, look, I, I think he's probably... Um... 
I wouldn't say he's on the chopping block as such, but he's he's just inside the core group of players at the moment. Just, and uh, I, I think yeah. he he understands that it's his role. He's he's coming off the bench. He's only coming off the bench. He's never been picked as a starter this season when we're fully fit. So he would understand. And I do he's agree, Jack. I, I I agree with you. I think that is his genius in actually extending his career at Fulham and in a very ambitious Fulham. And, you know, as he gets older, he's actually able to stay within the system because he's obviously well-liked uh, around the the team and he's happy to do the job that Marco wants him to do. So, you know, it, it, it goes on. Tammy? Yeah, I still think he's a bit overrated, but... That's where the AI comes in and just condenses that little bit of space, by the way, Jeff, yeah. footnote. <laughs> Uh, look, I, I think it's a, it's a really interesting conversation to have around Tom Kearney. And, and like I said, a lot of the things we've discussed so far in this episode, I think we'll, we'll be touching on again when we do have a, a wider look at the way Fulham might be lining up next season and how we might approach the summer transfer window because there's there's a lot of moving parts here and there's a lot of things I think that need to, need to be addressed. And, and I expect there'll be a lot of changes in the summer. And Tom Kearney might be one of those changes. I'm not 100% sure yet. It really depends on on where the chips fall and how much money we get given, uh, where we believe we need to invest and and how it all pans out from there. So um, look, some, some really interesting tweets there for us to discuss and I think um, that's a, a really good one to end on as well. So guys, I, I reckon we can wrap it up here. It's our final review from uh, the 22-23 season. Uh, just an incredibly enjoyable one. I don't think we can say it enough is how much fun I've had covering Fulham this season. We've been able to talk about more wins than Fulham have ever had in the Premier League before. Um, and even when we're not winning games, we're performing at the highest highest level. And I'm so proud to be a Fulham fan because of that as well. Um, so, Sammy, thank yeah, yeah. you so much for joining us tonight. No, thank you. And, um, you know, I'm I'm proud to... I'm so proud of this season, but I mean, I am just really, really happy that I get to do this with you guys because you know, um, uh, like my You're not granddad monologuing again, are you? I am monologuing. Shut the fuck up, okay? <laughs> um, uh, like our, like so, mine and Jack's granddad passed away. Dad's dad passed away a couple of years ago, and I, I remember Dad saying, "I wish I had more. I wish I had more. I wish I had something to look back on." And we've built something here that people seem to be engaging with. And it's been such a wonderful thing that we've done here that it's been so lovely. And that's just, it's been such an amazing season just covering this all. And to be able to look back on all this at another point in the future and have this all Oh, it's just packaged so nicely, and it's been it's been so lovely to do this with you guys. Really has. Oh, that's very nice, well, Sam. And Jack yeah. tried to cut me off for the record. Jack tried to cut me <laughs> off when I was saying a nice thing. You just uh, meant to say goodbye. It's not no, the end. We've still, got a, we've still got a bunch more episodes to go. I don't care. Yeah. I'm I'm finishing yeah. on a sentimental note, and I'm happy. To oh, go. your your monologues are getting cut off for the rest of the uh, rest of the season. <laughs> We got we got lots more episodes to come as well. So email in you, right to 
take Jack's reign of terror away. If you want more monologues, just <laughs> you've shot yourself talking. in the foot there, Sammy. Keep and subscribing, Dad, all that good stuff. Thank you, thank you for uh, for joining us tonight, Dad. Yep, um, this is not the end of the season, so I won't be giving my fond farewell. But uh, exactly. no, look, you know, I think nice. I think on balance, I would have loved points. I would have loved to beat Man United. I would have loved uh, Metro to you know, get his bad boy revenge, all that good stuff. But in the end, uh, looking at this from the perspective of the whole season and, the, and within the context of the whole season, you know, hugely proud. So good stuff. And uh, enjoy the chat. Look forward to uh, uh, when are we back? Yeah, so we'll... I need to finalise the schedule, but basically from here on out, we're hoping to do a couple more episodes to wrap up the season. We'll have a, uh, a That's So Craven Awards show coming up in the next couple of weeks. I hope everyone's got their tucks dry cleaned for that episode. Um, we'll also look to um, do a bit of a squad review as well and potentially look forward to the summer. And then obviously we've got our uh, That's So Craven quiz where we're involving other Fulham podcasters, well, getting them on board with a, a bit of bit of a fun quiz to finish out the season, and and hopefully bring the whole Fulham podcasting family together. So, look, we'll we'll be announcing a few dates in the coming days. Hopefully, I'm just finalising a few things, but um, it's definitely not the end of the season for that. So, Craven, at the moment, expect a few more podcasts over the next couple of weeks because I think there's so much to wrap up here that we we just can't call it quits after a Man United game, especially a Man United loss. So, um, yeah, definitely keep an eye on our socials. We'll be in touch with everyone as soon as we finalised everything and make sure you chuck it in your diary so you don't miss out because I think the live stream will be an awful lot of fun as well. Um, so, guys, well, Dad, how about you finish it off this year because I don't think you have done so far. Oh, just before I do that, thank you, Jack. Um, oh, no, you're not monologuing slide, as well. <laughs> I, I've got another monologue, yeah. Well, look at this. You've included a really weird left arm of someone. I think it's Mitro. Uh, well done for picking side. Mitro's left arm. Yeah, it is Mitro's yeah. left arm. Uh, I, it, look, it was, a, it was a bit of a rushed <laughs> crop job here. Um, <laughs> we've also, I think that's Sabitza standing behind Bruno Fernandes as well, potentially, or might be Jaden Sancho. <laughs> not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, look, it was a is a rush job, put it that way. The, it looks a little bit better when uh, it's all going to be finally released. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, thank you very much for the privilege, Jack. And uh, come on, you wives. <laughs> <laughs>